Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to let you, our dearest monsterbaiters, know that we are preparing to print our depraved merch. And to celebrate this most hallowed of months, Halloween month, we are announcing a giveaway. All you have to do is lend us, Monster Porn Podcast, your support by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. The first 20 monsterbaiters to email info at monsterpornpodcast.com with a screenshot of their review and their mailing address will receive a free monster porn sticker. Then, at the end of the month, we shall draw from these 20 two who will receive free t-shirts. Now you may wear the tentacles that would otherwise wear you. We'd like to thank everyone who has rated and reviewed or supported us in whatever way. We'd like to thank those who have connected over social media. We see you, and you are appreciated. Welcome to Monster Porn, weird fiction and horror podcast, the podcast that has no reflection in the mirror, but doesn't need no mirror to tell it it's sexy. Today's story, The Tokolosh, by Matt Cummins. about time, though it was fun listening to you talk about all that weird shit in your sleep. I care not what my tongue utters while I rest. My mind wanders to better aeons. And you talk about weirder shit when you're awake. On the way back, you drive, and I get to sleep. Alright, is this the place? If my calculations are correct, we should find the remains of the desolator of Abath Kanath's first earthly conquest by that grove of trees. You know, if I'm going to be honest, I don't really like this. This feels like the River Beast quest all over again. That was a different time and place, and here there are fewer noodles. Let's live in the present, Matt. You're the one who just declared his love for pterosaurs. 
Ah, here we go. Not a rock. Is that a human skull? Jesus. Yes. Yes, this is the lost city of Lahokia. Did you know the pre-Columbian population of North America was 30 million? 15 million of which were those people the Mormons said were here. Of that 15 million, only five survived. Five? Yes. Now while I start digging... Let's pay off our debt to the demon. Start telling a story. Do you remember the Roadrunner? That Looney Tune desert bird that evades the dastardly and insatiable coyote who seems doomed to be the engineer of his own demise? The Roadrunner always makes his getaway with a condescending, no, triumphant, or perhaps priggish, meep meep, and then he leaves the ailing coyote, or coyote, as we Midwesterners may say, to add one more brick to his tower, his self-righteous conquest of revenge. Seeing the little man was so cartoonish in weirdness that I thought then, for some reason, of that bird and coyote in their racing dance towards the grave. One average night towards the end of summer, I came down the path to see a small, hairy man with the face of an ugly chimpanzee standing above the stairway. He walked towards me slowly, his short, twisted legs not allowing enough clearance for the dragging corpse that was his inexhaustible member that hung like a soft, fleshy land anchor in his wake. I'll admit, because after seeing that, what the fuck does it matter, that I mewed like an injured, runt kitten exiting the birth canal and entering a cruel world for a short life. That squeaking sound grabbed the little man's attention. It stopped and looked up at me with shock, and then snarled a crooked smile in my direction. It hoisted the long, veiny luggage and tossed it up over its thin shoulder, and then, meep fucking meep, it dashed away. Looking foolish with my mouth hanging wide and my eyes as round as dinner plates, I stumbled forward. A bush next to the gate to the swimming pool shook. Then I saw it pick up a stone, which it stuck in its mouth like a pacifier. It sucked on the rock, with its giant dick nearly touching the ground behind it, over its shoulder, and then it disappeared in a blink. Meep fucking meep. When I went back to the desk, I was glad that my wife had gone into our apartment. The office of the motel we managed was attached to our apartment, or perhaps... It was the other way around. Either way, work and play were so thinly separated that they bled into each other, the comforts of the apartment ruining our concentration of work and the noise of activity in the office encroached upon our privacy. Laura had called it an early night, and I was left to man the desk by myself. I locked the office doors and turned off the lights and sat with my face in my hands, feeling sick and only turned the light back on when I realized that I would now, and perhaps forever, be afraid of the dark. Fortunately, the light of day chases away the fears of the night. The next morning, I hardly believed what I had seen until around noon when I found myself alone in the office once again. The 12 security cameras we had on the property focused mostly on the rooms, but there was one that showed the main path 
on the middle level of the motel. It was the first level if accessed from the front, and the second level from the back, as the motel was built on a hill. The camera pointed in the direction of the stairway, where I had seen the little man. I hesitated for a moment, as knowledge was the enemy of my sanity. I had written off what happened the night before as my imagination or some kind of strange prank. I had chosen not to believe it. But then I saw the screens. I entered the time of the night before that I wished to view and pressed play. An older-looking woman, she nearly looked homeless, stepped into her room. A moment later, I came bopping down the walkway with a song from the radio that was stuck in my head, a tune by a panel judge singing show, Idol or one of the like. I had heard it in the office. It was still fresh enough to come rushing back in my mind. But the spot where I saw the little man, as he became known to me, was in the shadows. I thought I saw movement, rewound, played again, this time in slow motion. There was movement of some kind, but the feed was so pixelated that it could have been really anything, a moth flying by the camera. Then just before I saw myself turn and stumble off stupefied, I saw something swing, like a soft log of meat, and then there was a fuzzy blip on the screen. I shut off the screen, feeling that same sickness rise in my chest. I walked like I was in a dream for the next several weeks. Laura worried constantly. I tried to assuage her fears by feigning normalcy, trying to play-act my former self. Well, I was no Tom Hanks, and she saw right through me. Everywhere I looked, I thought I saw a dash of dark hair disappearing under a bush or around a corner. The rooms at night held dark eyes, and, for reasons I'd read about later, I thought I saw it twice near the outdoor pool. Around the same time, though I hardly took notice, a strange older woman had rented a weekly unit. She had a tangled mess of long, silvery hair that was matted in grayish clumps here or there. She wore a loose flowing shawl of silk and necklaces of carved wood. Her eyes were blue and misty, as though she were blind, but there had been times when I had seen her eyes follow me as I walked by. Her face was sharp and rigid despite her great age, and utterly devoid of expression. Around noon, on an otherwise forgettable day, I came into the office to find Laura's face flushed and wearing an expression of exasperation. Bob's forced another one on us, she said. Her name is Tony, and she looks like a stripper that got dragged behind a horse. Such a way with words, my wife had. I met this supposed road-weathered pole dancer the next morning, and Laura's description was accurate. There was a certain aging that only a life of hard drugs and alcohol and an excess of penetration can obtain. She looked like a young woman aged beyond her years, or an older woman who looked okay despite her extreme age. But it was pretty obvious that it was the former. She was, as my poet wife would put it, dick trotted. Keep that creep away from my room or I swear I'll bash his head in. I have a bat, you know, Tony said. It was the first time I'd spoken to her and she was already making accusations. Are you sure it was him? I worked here long ago. Tony reminded me. I've worked for Bob a lot. 
well, that's all well and good, but technically you are working for me, and then I work for Bob. I said, trying to preemptively place ointment on the pain in my ass I could tell that she was going to become. She saw herself as the owner of the motel's employee, which meant to her that new managers be damned, she would do what she wanted. She shot a look at me that told me she didn't give a shit. She and Bob had history, just like several of the other work-for-rent housekeepers that our obese and elderly boss forced on us from time to time. Past girlfriends who he was stashing at his motel. I felt dirty just knowing what was going on. But as the man had never brought his wife around the motel, I could go on pretending I didn't know what was happening. I know it was him because I've known that little shit ever since he was ten. When his parents had your jobs, Tony spat at me. He's always been a little creep. We had a maintenance man named Johnny. He was twenty years old, and he had worked at the motel when his parents were managers. His parents had been fired, and we had been hired, but he remained there because he was also working for rent. He had a room, and if he quit his job, he would be out of housing as well. So if you can't say that you saw him, and you can't prove it was him, I can't do much. And probably should get the police involved if you think he has been breaking into your room at night, I said. I'd have been more helpful, but I didn't believe a word she was saying. Our only other employee who'd worked with Tony the last time she'd been at the motel said that the woman had a great talent for making shit up. A pathological liar is what she'd been called. No police, she said, looking surprised, as if she just shit and realized that she'd stepped in her own foul mess. I'll just talk to him, she said as she stormed out of the office. Do you believe her? Laura asked. Hell no. Noko said the last time that Tony worked here, she got high and walked around in nothing but a trench coat and lingerie flashing people. I said, Noko was one of our few long-time employees. She said that the only reason Bob fired her was because someone had written about it on the internet. It wasn't until after Tony walked out of the office that I thought about the little man. I was doing a good job of convincing myself that I didn't really see anything, and that lie was starting to take hold. But in that moment, it dawned on me that maybe Tony had seen something in her room. I felt myself break out in a cold sweat thinking about what that could mean. What that thing armed with its anatomy, uh, could do to someone. What purpose could a man like that, dare I call that creature a man? What purpose could it have? The next week, I found out. Bob, you okay? I asked as the fat man in the USS Reagan hat walked into the office. He looked like he had seen a ghost. Me? I'm great, he said. Camped on the river this weekend. The salmon were rolling, Bob bragged, knowing well I would have loved to go fishing. Bob had never fished once in his life, according to his brother. No doubt there were some people he watched fish from the comfort of his RV while he sipped his whiskey. Yeah, you looked troubled there for a moment, I said, not letting him throw me that quickly. Ah, uh, well, that, that lady in, in, in 3 three twelve. There's something familiar about her, but, but it was nothing. Reminded me of someone who used to work here who passed away years and years ago, he said, but his face was nearly white. 
He left quickly that morning and didn't bother me with his usual list of complaints. That was the daily dance of the life at the motel. Bob would show up, drive in a slow circle around the grounds to come up with a list of complaints, then he'd come into the office to tell us how the whole thing was just fucked up and going to hell unless we shaped up. On slow days, it was worse. He would want to stay and bullshit for a while. There was nothing like being broke and getting screwed on your pay by your boss only to listen to him brag about his riches. Before he left, I noticed that he went upstairs and then came back down about 15 minutes later. There were no cameras outside of the top level on the front of the motel. And that is exactly where he had instructed us to put Tony when she started working. She got room 422, and that morning she was the only one on the top level. That's a match made in hell, Laura said. God knows, I said, and I noticed that I wasn't the only one who'd noticed Bob. The old woman with the misty eyes stood out on the front deck outside of the west wing of the motel. As Bob got into his H2 and rumbled off down the main street, the woman's gaze lingered on the top level as though she were looking at something that only she could see. Her expression the same as it had been the day I first saw her, but somehow I could feel hatred coming from that blank stare. Yeah, what? So some bitch disappeared like 20 years ago, back when my grandparents ran the joint, Johnny said as he took a drag from his cigarette. We spoke behind the maintenance shed, his small black eyes darting back and forth as they always did, as though he were expecting trouble at any moment. Who was she? Fuck if I know. I was like two months old. My parents said she was some woman Bob dropped on Gramps and Granny. You know, one of his side bitches. Did they ever find out what happened to her? Hell no. That lady was some artist or some shit just trying to make it here in Ashland. Bob set her up on a work-for-rent thing, and then one day she was gone. She left all of her shit, though. Police looked into it, and then life went on. Probably found some other sugar daddy. This town is weird, man. Artists come and go. It's like a bunch of gypsies around here. So what do you think of Tony? I asked him, eyeing him for a response. Fucking crazy as she was when I was little. My parents said she used a lot of blow back in the day. They also said Bob liked to spend a lot of time around her room when he thought no one was looking, he said. My face must have given away what I was feeling. You thought you were just running a motel. Welcome to Big Bob's whorehouse, brother, he said, flicking his cigarette and turning to walk away. Hey, Johnny, I said on impulse. He turned back. Have you ever seen anything around here that you can't explain? He looked at me opened his mouth and started to speak, paused, and then finally said, Well, just, just the other day by the, by the pool. Then he shook his head, as though he thought better. Nah, man, just my imagination got me. Lots of people come and go, and it's creepy here in the dark. He saw it too, I thought, as he walked away. The arrangement of Laura's and my employment at the hotel included a large apartment connected to the office by a door, thin as a cracker and less soundproof. If one of the desk clerks broke wind, we damn near felt the gust. The point of our living on site was so that our crook of a boss didn't have to hire a night audit. That and the excuse to pay us next to nothing. We answered what he called night bells, which meant that the people who checked in between midnight and 7 a.m. 
would pick up a phone outside and it would ring directly into our room. There were weeks where on top of running the motel, I would have to answer five or six night bells a night, which meant I would work all day and then get maybe an hour or two worth of sleep at night. If I bitched about it, Bob would just tell me how he'd been there before, dismissing my gripes. Of course, he had owned the place and took a whole lot of unreported cash when he was first at the hotel that he owned. I wasn't even making minimum wage if you calculated out our pay and then split it between Laura and I. With a tight job market and our housing hung up in the line of fire, we were effectively fucked and stuck. The phone rang in the middle of the night, and I sat up from a strange and twisted nightmare about a pair of eyes lurking at the end of the bed. It had felt like sleep paralysis, that thing that they talk about so frequently on those late-night AM radio ghost shows. I dreamt that I could open my eyes but not move my body, and there was something lurking back and forth at the end of the bed. When the phone rang, I sat up, sweating through the sheets. Uh, Hello, I said hoarsely. Hey, why in the hell is the office locked? An angry customer barked from the other end of the line. It was damn near impossible to explain to people that were used to staying at hotels the way that this particular motel ran. It wasn't unusual for small, locally owned motels to operate this way, but people expected hotel customer service even if they were paying cheap motel prices. Well, that's. Why the phone is there, I said, trying not to sound condescending. It was hard to understand how people could follow the instructions with the phone, but not put the rest of it together. I had a woman wake me up on two occasions to ask if she could charge her cell phone and laptop. The second time, I ran her off the property, and she called Bob to complain. It was the only time he had ever stood up for me. Are you checking in? I asked. No, the man said, and then he paused as though he were unsure what to say. There, There's a woman. She's moaning, screaming. I don't know. It's fucking weird. All I know is that if she doesn't shut up, you're going to give me my money back when I check out. I haven't slept a wink. I assured the man that I would check it out and put a stop to the noise complaint. I dressed in a light sweatshirt, some sneakers, a t-shirt, and a ball cap. The chill in the air nearly took my breath as I walked out into the night. I went to the west wing of the motel as the man had described, but in fact, I didn't need to know what room he'd been in. I could hear the sounds as soon as I opened the office door. If I'd have slept with my window open that night, I would have heard the sound from my apartment. There was a strange low moaning that wouldn't stop. There were no breaks in the rhythmic sound. I went to room 312 where it came from and went to knock on the door. I was so unsure of myself that my knuckles barely grazed the light green slab of the door, but it was enough to push the unlatched door open. Call the police, I told myself, but instead I stepped quietly into the room. The floor of the room was covered with some kind of feathers. I'm not sure exactly what they were. It was as though a pillow had exploded. There were strange markings on the walls and small figurines 
twisted and grimacing. Across the room, on the second of the two queen beds, the old silver-haired woman lay naked on her bed, lit from the light of a small lamp. Her chest was covered with something thick and greasy-looking. There were chunks of bread spread across the floor, and there was bread all around her. There were lidless jars of what looked like honey, but it was hard to tell in the dim light. Her legs were being held high in the air by two black hands. The owner of the hands stood in the shadows past the edge of the bed. It was short, standing up on a chair. The woman rocked back and forth in a way that suggested that only one thing could be happening to her, but no one, no, no thing was mounting her. Her body bucked with the loose, sagging skin around what had once been a desirable set of hips, rippling, as though with impact. But impact of what? The thing in the shadows moved too, but it was, it was too hard to see. I dared not take another step as to be seen, but instead I, I raised onto my toes. I was just tall enough to see a long appendage coming from the shadows and thrusting into the woman. The little man was penetrating her from several feet away. The woman was screaming in pain and pleasure. I stepped away quickly from the door and took one last peek through the crack in the curtains from outside. I had been seen. The little man left from his chair. His still hard monstrosity leading him like an angry torpedo, knocking a lamp from the nightstand before being used like a pole vaulter's pole to send him springing over and across the second bed towards the door. I turned and fled into the night. I stayed in the office all night and only made myself presentable enough to not get chastised by Bob the next morning. He was so used to ignoring my obvious exhaustion that he didn't let on whether or not I looked as tired and sickly as I felt. I noticed him, though. He looked preoccupied. He kept looking towards the west wing of the motel and shaking his head. I watched as he left, backing up, and instead of leaving through the east entrance, he parked and let his Hummer idle for a moment. The woman came out of 312, and Bob looked at her, shook his head again, and then drove away with a little more pedal under his foot than usual. Night bells are no night bells. I didn't sleep for nearly a week after that. By midway through the first morning, Laura demanded to know what was wrong with me. I told her what I'd seen. At first, she looked amused, as though I were telling a joke. But as I went on, her face became pinched at the brow, as though she were thinking deeply. Did you Google it? She asked. What? I, uh, I know? No, I didn't. I stammered, realizing that I had been so unsure of what I'd seen that I hadn't even checked the web. What kind of self-respecting millennial are you? She said and turned towards the keyboard. Her fingers went to work. Uh, let me see. Short? Um, hairy, big cock, and likes milk and honey. Ah, yeah, here. Here it is. 
It's a tokolosh. She said clearly, not sure whether she believed me. What? She clicked in red before saying, Yeah, apparently we have a tokolosh. Her voice was casual, as there were an everyday thing, but her face was stern. Well, according to this article, the woman you saw last night is probably the summoner, and she either summoned it for sex or to harass someone out of jealousy. It is a South African myth about a water sprite that has short legs and is so endowed that it has to carry its, you know, <laughs> itself over its shoulder when, sh when it runs. There are females, too, apparently, and they have to do the same thing with their breasts. Laura blurted out some laughter and shook her head. Are you sure you weren't dreaming? I took her to the cameras and showed her the footage of the night I'd seen it by the steps. She looked, and then she took the remote from my hands and backed up the recording further. A few seconds before I appeared in the frame, a blurred distortion passes by the cameras and then stops. It had no color or noticeable shape, but right where I thought I saw the little man was a ripple of light. Then, when I came into the camera, it was as it was before, and when we slowed it down, the thing I saw swinging was just another distortion. Then it disappeared. She fast-forwarded to last night and then switched to the feed by the woman's room. You could see me go to knock on the door, poke my head in, raise up onto my toes, and then close the door, peek through the blinds, and run away. As I turned to run, a distortion of light appeared in the window of the room, and then it followed me out of the door. It stopped midway through the parking lot, and then disappeared up the stairs to the top level. Did you see that? Laura asked. The blur? I said. No, the light. Here, look. Laura rewound and then paused the footage. There. Do you see the light? Uh, yeah, but... I started to say, but Laura was ahead of me. The top floor. Someone opened the door with their light on. Who was up there? Laura pulled up the register and looked through the rooms. There is no one listed except for 422, which is marked as down for maintenance. That's Tony's room, isn't it? Yeah, I said. I put it in as under maintenance so we wouldn't have to keep entering her into the computer every day. I had a thought then and told Laura what Tony had said to me about someone being by the foot of her bed at night. I thought about my dreams but I didn't allow myself to linger on those thoughts. We decided we had to get to the bottom of the mystery of the woman in room 312. I've never seen her before. Never? I asked Noko. Yeah, like ever, she said. Should I know anything about her? Like, what's the big deal? Oh, um... Nothing. We had some guest complaints, and I just wondered, I said, and then I asked, Hey, do you remember anything about a housekeeper disappearing a long time ago? Jesus, I haven't worked here that long. I'm like, I'm younger than you guys, you know that, right? 
Well, well, yeah, but you have been here the longest. Sure, I remember the story about the housekeeper going missing way back in the day when Johnny's grandpa ran the place. Disappeared, but left all of her shit. Cops got called, but no one ever found her. Like one of Bob's drop-offs, you know? Probably found some other dude who gave her more than a motel room and a shitty job and all those filthy expectations. Well, maybe not the expectations, but, you know, that'd be my guess. We went about our business for the day, keeping an eye out for Tony. But she didn't come into work that morning. She called in sick, and only later that afternoon I saw her limping down the deck with a horrified look in her eyes. Probably cocksore, Noko said. Jesus, Noko, keep it work appropriate, Laura said. What? That is work appropriate for Tony. Guys, come and go out of her room on the reg. If Bob catches on, she'll be out on her ass again, and he'll drop off another old flame or crackhead. Tony is crazy, but at least we know what we're getting. She's limping, Laura whispered. You know, they say that the little man bites off toes. Another piece fell into the horror puzzle that our daily lives were becoming. Laura researched more on the internet and was able to find a picture of the supposed missing housekeeper from a paper clipping on the newspaper archives page. The woman was young, pretty, but weary. Just the way Bob seemed to like them. Her cheekbones were undeniable. The woman in room 312 was the missing housekeeper who had seemed to age 40 years in less than half the time. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Laura asked. Yeah, I said. What the fuck did Bob do to her? The next morning, Bob avoided the west side of the motel entirely as he did his rounds. I sent a couple of housekeepers to check on all the rooms on the west wing, starting with the weekly rentals. 312 is empty, Devin said. What? I asked. Yeah, it looks like no one has ever been there. The beds are made, and the shitter is sparkling, and the TP roll still has its hymen intact. Do any of you understand the words, work appropriate? Lauren nearly shouted. I chuckled at the irony, though humor came hard. While we spoke, I saw Bob slip upstairs towards Tony's room. A moment later, a horrible squealing broke through the air. It wasn't the squealing or screeching of an animal, though it sounded much like a pig, nor was it female. The sound was coming from a man. I turned and ran towards the stairs, Devin and Laura at my heels. I ran towards the door as Tony came stumbling from the room, clawing at her own flesh and screaming gibberish. She slipped and fell headfirst over the rail, her head hitting a parking block and spewing blood. Devin and Laura stopped and I told them to go check on Tony, knowing full well what they'd find. In the open room in front of me, I had no idea what I would find. But I had fears and suspicions. 
I stepped into the room to see Bob lying on his back and wailing as he clutched at his chest. He looked like he couldn't breathe. Standing over him, the devilish imp looked triumphantly on its prey. It took out its engorged member, and like a jousting lance, it rammed it through Bob's massive and heaving chest. Blood sprayed across the room and stained the curtains and dripped onto the floor. Bob let out a massive, final, blood-choked wheeze as death took the light from his eyes. The last sound on earth Bob ever made was an unholy fart. Then a squishing noise as the little man exited his chest. Leaping down from his triumph, from his victim, the little man turned his attention toward me. I stepped back and fell into the railing. He was coming closer and closer and closer. it is. That's the fifth body. You notice how they're all sitting in a ring. Yeah, I see that. And look at the arms. Were they all passing something to the right? It's like they're setting something in one another's lap. That's not what they're doing. Look. What is that little bone there in each one's lap? Oh, God. It's never normal, is it? Were they... They were working themselves up to exercise the desolator, according to the textbook methodology. And were, were these his... They were his past writers. Oh, God. These ancient Amerindians were his podcasters before us, Matt. And they were so desperate to be rid of the desolator that they... They tried so hard to get hard that they died in each other's hands. Hmm. Hmm, what? Sitting in a circle, reaching to the right. I wonder if this is the origin of the peace pipe ritual. Ugh, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like any of this. Feels like the spirits of the dead are angry here. Yes, we have aroused the spirits. What was that? Did you hear that? What? I thought you farted. Oh, God, let's get out of here. Monster Pop.
Phone Podcast is a production of Orkbox Media. Matt, I think I'm picking up an EVP. Shut up, human. Yeah, it, it just told me to shut up. God damn it, assholes. Thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed on iTunes. Without you, we would not have been rated and reviewed on iTunes. We are excited. No, not that kind of excited. <clears throat> to announce a collaboration coming down the pipeline with talented artist Nick Calavera of KingdomOfMonsters.com. Stay tuned to learn about this sick new design, which may not be entirely unrelated to the t-shirts we are printing. And check out Nick Calavera on Twitter at NIC underscore C-A-L A-V-E-R-A or at his website kingdomofmonsters.com Halloween is coming and so are we. That's not what I meant. 15 million of which were those people the Mormons said were here. Of that 15 million only five survived. Five. With the face of an ugly chimpanzee, that's the next monster in the story. He walked towards me slowly, his short, twisted legs not allowing enough clearance for the dragging corpse that was his inexhaustible member that hung like a soft, fleshy land anchor. Matt, I was getting so impressed that you're applying to that sentence. I, like, I wasn't even thinking like about what I was reading, and then as soon as I allowed the, the image to creep into my mind, I was done. Oh, boy, you're really eloquent about cock. <laughs> cock. <laughs> Cockerquince. He walked towards me slowly, his short, twisted legs not allowing enough clearance for the dragging corpse that was his inexhaustible member. <laughs> Sober up, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's lower inexhaustible. <laughs> Just... the best part of this. <laughs> it is. And the hardest part to read. The hardest part? <laughs> I think I know what the hardest part is. <laughs> and then it disappeared. It disappeared. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's going to be a long morning. Good thing I have something else to do here shortly. <laughs> The next morning, I hardly believed. <laughs> the word heart tripped me up. <laughs> Did you trip on it literally? Yeah, I tripped over it. I saw something swing, like a soft log of meat, and then there was a fuzzy blip on the screen. Damn it, Matt. <laughs> a fuzzy blip. I like that it's fuzzy. No. <laughs> I stepped into the room to see Bob lying on his back and wailing as he clutched his chest. He couldn't breathe. Standing over him, the devilish imp looked triumphantly on its prey. It took out its engulfed member. And like a jousting lance, it rammed Bob through his massive, heaving chest. Blood sprayed across the room, staining the curtains and dripping to the floor. Bob let out massive, 
final blood-soaked wheeze as death took the light from his eyes. The last sound Bob ever made was a poor and unholy fart. Okay, I don't know if I can do that one again. Let's just, I don't know. Let's just end it there. Okay. Uh, we're sorry. Uh, yeah, we should pray. <laughs> Repent somewhere. Uh, I gotta go work one out first. <laughs>